We know that the book of Devorim is a review, where Moshe Rabbeinu reviews everything that happened to the Yidden while they were 40 years in the desert, as well as reviewing the principles that were shared in the Torah. We also know that Devorim is a book of rebuke. So which one is the dominant theme of Devorim? Rebuke of the Jewish people or a review of the Torah? Now, in decoding this, because obviously both of them have a role to play, we're going to come to understand not just the role that Moshe plays as the conduit between Hashem and the Jewish people, but actually how the whole of Judaism works, the bridging of the highest of the high with the reality that we live in. Commenting on the Pasuk that says it was in the 40th year and Moshe Rabbeinu reviewed everything with the hidden. So if you have a look at the commentaries that explain Pshat, there are two different views. What exactly was it that Moshe said? So Aleph Rashi, Let's look at the, obviously, the first commentator we'll always look at, which is Rashi. So Rashi explains, Rashi bases his opinion on the, on the uh, Sifri, that it was close to Moshe leaving the Jewish people, so now is the appropriate time to rebuke them. You don't rebuke people too far in advance. So in other words, Dvarim is words of rebuke. Then you have Beis Bisvarna Kosov. The Svarna says, that really what Moshe was doing at this point, he was reviewing the whole Torah of everything that had happened and all of the things that they had been taught up until that point in time. Nobody's going to suggest that these are contradictory views. Both are relevant. Both factors apply to what Moshe was telling me. He was rebuking and he was reviewing. Because if you have a look at the book of Devarim, you'll find both. You'll find many occasions where Moshe Rabbeinu shows the Eden that you did this or that wrong. And we'll find many occasions where he reviews things that we've already learned in the Torah. In fact, the name of this book is the repetition of the Torah. So, so what's really the question between Rashi and the Sforan over here? Not, was it a book of rebuke or a book of review? Rather, which is the dominant feature or which is the main, the most important feature of this book of Tvarim? But because this pasuk that says Moshe spoke to the Yidden at the end of the 40 years, that's an introduction to the entire Sefer Dvorim. We have to therefore say, We cannot see them, therefore, as two separate concepts. Dibre and Moshe refers to the entire Sefer. And if Rashi says the entire Sefer is about rebuke, and the Sferna says the entire Sefer is about review, then either rebuke and review are completely intertwined, or they share a common theme. And that's what we want to try and understand. What exactly is the commonality between the two opinions? The Gemara Megillah tells us what's the big difference between the first four Svarim of the Torah and Devarim. Key words to our Sikh over here. The Gemara says the first four books were directly from Hashem's mouth, whereas Devarim is Moshe Rabbeinu saying it so to speak on his own. What does that mean, on his own? Obviously nobody suggests that Moshe Rabbeinu made this up, that Sefer Dvarim is his own idea, his own words, his independent insights. 
Like it was Moshe's own content that he was sharing. And like it Rashi, but it's like Rashi, but it's like Rashi explains. Rashi says clearly, what's Mishnah Torah? It's Moshe reviewing with the Yidden how he had received this information from Hashem. Obviously, otherwise it wouldn't be Torah, right? For example, whatever Moshe Rabbeinu said in the second Dibrois in Pashas Vaishchanan, where we see that some of the wording is different to how we saw it in Pashas Yisroi, it's in fact how it was told. Like, for example, that the different variations of how it was read were both said to Moshe Rabbeinu in a single statement, and now he's sharing it with everybody else. To put it into different words, Lactosva says that whatever Moshe said of his own was Ruach HaKodesh. It's not of his own. It's what the Ibishter inspires him to share. So Moshe doesn't invent content. Moshe is not sharing his, his personal views. It's directly from Hashem. Another question actually goes the other way. Okay, so if Mishnah Torah is all what Hashem inspired him to say, and it's the Shechina speaking through Moshe's voice box, that's why he could say things in the first person, I will give you rain. Not that Moshe Rabbeinu gives rain. He's just simply conveying Hashem's message verbatim. Another question goes the other way. So how can you call it Moshe saying it of his own accord? So we need to understand this intercessor role that Moshe plays between Hashem and us in order to understand this question. Likewise, we have a question on what the Gemara said. The Gemara says an interesting thing. There are different views whether or not if paragraphs appear next to each other, parashas appear next to each other in the Torah, whether that automatically means that you should trans, uh, comment, comment on them. In other words, juxtapose them and say because they're next to each other, the one teaches about the other. So even according to the view that says we don't use it as a method of Torah interpretation, in Mishnah Torah we do. In other words, there's an implication of yeah, that Mishnah Torah was dafka said in the correct order. And so the Ravan explains, what's the reason? Because the first four Svarim of the Torah came from Hashem. They don't necessarily have to be in a logical order. Whereas Mishnah Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu set it out. And if Moshe Rabbeinu would set out a book of the Torah, obviously he did so in a sense of chronology, in a sense of logical flow. Now, going back to what we just said, but Moshe is not making up his own book over here. He's just sharing what comes to him directly from Ruach HaKodesh. And on the other hand, the other first four books, which we all say is me, Piagvura, how did we get that information? From Moshe himself, right? So now what's the logic to say that Mishnah Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu set it out so it must follow a chronology and a logical flow, whereas the first four Svarim, which Moshe also is the one who conveyed them to us, that not necessarily has to be logical. Why? So again, there's something about Moshe's role in conveying Torah that lies at the heart of this whole conversation. We have to discover what it is. In order to understand Moshe's role, let's first contextualize Torah properly. 
Every Chabad Bar Mitzvah boy knows this. That a Chazal told us the Torah precedes the world by 2,000 years. When we say 2,000 years, we don't mean that the Torah is 2,000 years older than the world. What we mean is that the 2,000 represents two entire realities of, inter- of intellect, of understanding. That is completely beyond our world. So Torah is way beyond us and way beyond our world. Torah in its pristine state is way beyond being applicable or accessible in our world. So the only way the Torah can get to us is there has to be some intermediary that plays the role of Memutza. Now, the role of Memutza is that you understand both worlds. When you have two realities that cannot speak to each other, the interpreter has to understand both sides. He has to understand both languages, and that will link the two together. So in order to have a Memutza between Torah, which is way beyond, exponentially beyond our world, and our reality, so that we could actually learn Torah, will require something, or in this case, someone, who lives in both realities. So, this is an individual who is fundamentally greater than our world, yet lives in our world, which allows him the opportunity to bridge the two realities. So we are so much in our world, we could never access Torah. Torah is so much in its world, it could never reach us. So there has to be somebody who experiences both. Who is this somebody? Moshe Rabbeinu is the perfect bridge, the intermediary, the maturgamon, the interpreter of Torah into the language of our experience. Because you find that Moshe Taka lives in two worlds. On one hand, Moshe Rabbeinu is a non-entity. He's completely submitted to Hashem. He's completely transparent. You look at Moshe Rabbeinu, you don't see Moshe Rabbeinu. Who are we? What are we? What do we express? We're just conduits for godliness. So somebody who has that extent of bitul is not part of this world. This world is a place of independent conscious realization of self. And yet, on the other hand, we find that Moshe is the perfect human. Not the perfect superhuman. That's true. But he's the perfect human. That's why, for example, we're told that he had this unusual height of 10 Amois, which is way greater than the normal height of a person, indicating that in the human experience, Moshe Rabbeinu is the ultimate human. So he's the ultimate beyond human, because complete bitul, he doesn't live in our world. And yet, when he is in our world, he is in our world in the ultimate state, the greatest possible level. So, so therefore, Moshe becomes the memutza. He becomes the bridge, he becomes the interpreter, who is able to direct Torah from its incredibly lofty perch into our reality that we can understand it and relate to it. Which means we have to explore this concept of a memutza. What does it mean to be an intermediary? There are two possible ways that I explain in Hasidus, and they have two very different outcomes, depending on which way it is. How a memutza intermediary allows flow from one reality to the other could unfold in two completely different ways. 
One possible way is just a complete transit station. Meaning to say, So in other words, you've got flow, and the nature of the flow is that it goes right through the mamutza, and the mamutza does not alter the flow in any way. So if you had to pour water through a funnel, the funnel doesn't change the water in any way. It might help you get the water into a more narrow bottle, for example, but the water that gets through on the other side is exactly the same water that went into the funnel in the first place. So, all that happens is you get the transportation of an idea from one point to another. So, if you've got a brilliant idea in your mind, you write it down on paper. The fact that you're using your hands to write it down doesn't alter the idea. The idea is just as clear and just as intellectual now that it's written on paper. The other possibility is what we call where in order to transition, You've got this very lofty ideal that enters into a reality where it takes on some of the nature of the mamutza and then is transported to the next level. So, so what happens over here is that something shifts along the way between the original pristine version of the concept, the idea, the energy, and the way it's presented on the other side. So that's like playing broken telephone. You say something to the person next to you, you whisper something in their ear, by the time it's gone 20 people around the room, what comes out on the other side is an an altered or possibly even a garbled message because each person has taken it into their head, thought what they believe the other person said, and then shared accordingly. So it's exactly like when you hear something directly from the source or when you hear something from a person who heard it secondhand. So the information is not going to be as pristine. Or even for that matter, when a person has an idea and the idea then affects them emotionally. By the time it affects you emotionally and then it it interprets into action, well, it may not look as intellectual as it was when you originally thought of the idea. It might be a little bit more personal now, maybe even a bit more biased now. So what happens is, once you go through this hislapshos experience, you've got the pristine idea, which now becomes translated into the reality of the interpreter, who then shares it to the audience. The advantage is, it, because it's been kind of dumbed down or downgraded, so now the audience can actually get the information in a way that they appreciate. So the advantage of the first process is, what you get is absolutely pristine. You may not understand it. The advantage of the second process is, what you get, you will certainly understand and relate to, but it may no longer be as pristine. This is the fundamental difference between the first four books of the Torah and Tvarim. For the first four Svarim of, of Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu is a funnel. And Hashem's words flow right through him, or as Rashi calls him a shliach, where the shliach is responsible to do not only exactly what the mashaleach intends, but when he does it, he is exercising the authority of the mashaleach. He has no authority of his own. So the shliach goes along, puts a ring on a, pers- on a woman's finger in the name of somebody thousands of kilometers away, and they are now married. Nothing happens to the shliach. Nothing happens to Moshe Rabbeinu. He just shares unaltered, uncorrupted godliness. 
So different arterials of him like nitvosu be has so gosoi vayfen shali slabshus elanish aru bedarks mi piagvora. So when Moshe Rabbeinu shares the first four svarim of the Torah, it doesn't even enter into Moshe's understanding of that information. It's the information as received, literally untouched. Nobody opened the envelope. Whereas Mishnah Torah, yes, of course it's Hashem's words, and yes, of course it's Ruach HaKodesh, but it stops along the way in Moshe's mind. Moshe understands it as his understanding and then shares it with everybody else. It's the same information made perhaps more accessible to the crowd. Which answers our most recent question. How come it is that those people who don't necessarily look at context in the flow of Parshas and the Torah, when it comes to Mishnah Torah, they dafka do. Why? Because the first four Sfarim of the Torah, although they were shared by Moshe, were not first absorbed into his intellect and then shared. So, of course, the order in which the Torah was shared is absolutely precise, but it's beyond our grasp. We don't understand why that's the flow, why those are the smuchim. So the nature of why this parasha follows that parasha is beyond the human comprehension. So we don't delve into it to try and extract and explain. This one relates to that one for the following reasons. With that brilliant wisdom of godliness, infinite wisdom of Hashem, entered the human realm so that Moshe Rabbeinu, a representative, the ultimate representative of the human nation, could understand it. So now that means that That means that this presentation of Torah is designed that every human should be able to understand everything about it, including why this parasha precedes or follows that parasha. So therefore we are obligated to explore it. So what do we see? There's clarity now what the difference is between the first four svarim of Torah, which is direct flow from Hashem, Moshe is just the funnel, and we get it exactly as it arrived, perfectly packaged, which means there's certain things that are beyond our grasp, versus Mishnah Torah, where Moshe plays the role of intercessor, first by stopping in his own mind, unpacking what he's got, and then sharing it with us in language that we can and should relate to, which puts a little bit more responsibility on us to understand not only the information, but the flow of the information too. Of course, that begs a big question. Why did Hashem split the Torah into two parts? And this is where we'll start to get to the essence of what Judaism is really all about. Why did Hashem choose to design the Torah in such a way that a portion of the Torah, 20% of the Torah, Mishnah Torah, should Dafka first be interpreted into human understanding and then taught to us? Surely that means that Mishnah Torah is almost at a lower level than the preceding four parts, which are pristine, exactly as Hashem presented it. Surely this is a downgrade. Now you're getting something which is first translated into human language and then given to us. So the explanation is as follows, and if you learned the previous Sicha on Dvarim, 
about the whether Moshe Rabbeinu loved the Yidden or not, it dovetails beautifully with what we're about to learn. Any time that something is shared, just like in the funnel ma'avor process, you get it in its original pristine form, that means that what you're receiving is actually fundamentally beyond you. You're getting infinite Torah. Hashem's wisdom. That's what you're getting. That's in, in, inherently beyond us. For logical reason. The Torah was originally beyond us, and the Mimutza intermediary didn't change anything, so therefore it's still fundamentally beyond us. So whatever we're going to now understand out of the Torah that was given to us is never going to be the full story. So you get the first four svarim of, of Torah, you learn them, you read them, you read all the Mephoshim, and you delve as far as the human mind is capable of going. It's never going to take you to the essence of what you've actually been given. Therefore, if the only means by which Hashem had shared Torah with us was only only to share with us pristine Torah, which is actually beyond us, then we would have no means of understanding, grasping with human intellect the essence within Torah. Because the essence would always remain beyond us. It was never interpreted. It was presented. In other words, somebody gives you something that is way beyond you. You dig and dig and dig as far as you can go. You think you've achieved amazing things because now you understand. But the truth is you've got infinite under- you, sorry, you've got finite understanding of an infinite concept. So you're really nowhere. You feel good. You've discharged your responsibility to learn. But you haven't really got anywhere close to what the essence of the Torah that was shared with you is all about. So anything that you would eventually understand about Torah would just be a glimmer. It would be like, the, if you can imagine, you're sitting in your bedroom and the wind, the curtains are closed and there's a little crack and there's a little bit of sunlight that comes and you think, oh, now I understand the sun. Be that kind of experience. That's the greatness and the Chiddush of the fifth dimension of Torah. The fact that Moshe now took all of Torah, as the Sforno says, and he repeats it again to them. It's not new information. It's the same information. Now he's re-sharing it with them with the benefit of Moshe having understood it. So now not only are you getting the pristine information, the essence of Torah, you're getting the essence of Torah as grasped by a human, in fact, the ultimate human. Now, because of that, when we learn Torah, regardless of who we are and where we are, even if a person is impure, because as we know, that a person does not have to be in a state of Torah in order to learn Torah. So whoever you are, wherever you are, when you learn Torah, this is massive what we're about to hear. Something major has shifted now. Not only are you getting Torah, not only are you getting information, 
but you're getting information that has been fully absorbed into the human experience, thanks to Moshe, because Moshe obviously understands Torah in a way that is infinitely beyond us. He understands it for real. He understands the essence of the Torah. And then he gave it to us. So now I open up a Sefer and I learn Torah. I'm now no longer just scratching the surface. Whatever level of learning I'm doing using my faculties takes me straight to be in touch with the essence of Torah. Why? Because Moshe already reconstituted to be accessible to us. And because Moshe Abenu didn't only share Mishnah Torah as fresh information, but he dafka reviewed everything that was in the previous four Sfarim, therefore whatever we learn in the other four Sfarim, which fundamentally should be beyond us accessing the essence, actually now we can access the essence. And obviously by extrapolation, the whole of Torah Shabbat Peh, which comes out of Torah Shabbat Peh, is the same thing. Because Moshe Rabbeinu's job is to represent and link every single Yid to Hashem. Even a Yid who is in the lowliest spiritual state, as we see the famous example, that the famous thing, Moshe Rabbeinu turns around and says, where am I supposed to find meat for them? What do you mean, where are you supposed to find meat? But Did he not believe in Hashem? No, Chassidus explains, Moshe could not relate to the concept that people have a taiva, that they have a, a craving for meat. He just couldn't relate to it. So he couldn't provide for them. And that wasn't good enough. So, now, you don't know how to do this, that's okay, we'll get another group of people, we'll get them to be the ones to facilitate the meat for the Jewish people. That's not what Hashem says. Hashem says, we need to make a link now between Moshe Abenu and the Shivim Zkenim. He has to share his Ruach his power with them, that will then empower them to supply meat for those people who are so base that they have a craving for meat that Moshe cannot relate to. How? Through Moshe's koyach. Because the goal of Moshe is to connect and affect every single yid, even the lowest of the low. Therefore, the fact that Moshe now absorbed the Torah into his reality, his reality meaning not only the lofty tenth Amma, which is beyond our reality, but even the lowly one Amma, which is in our reality and at the lowest dimension of our reality. Moshe absorbed the Torah fully into himself. And then he shared it with us. So now Now that he made, Moshe Rabbeinu did a magnificent thing. He made the entire Torah, the essence of Torah, accessible to every single Yid, even the lowest, simplest Yid, who you and I would think really is never going to get anywhere in their Torah learning. So it's, it's totally different to this whole concept of how much have you learned in order to connect to Hashem. This is every bit that you learn relative to your capacity, your abilities, gives you direct access to the essence of Hashem. Ah, you'll ask, this is very nice in concept, but how can it really be that Torah, which is Ein Soif, should ever be absorbed in the human experience and to the extent that a person can actually take credit and call the Torah his own? How can you understand this uh, this paradoxical state? 
How is it possible that Torah could become so much a part of a person that A, they can call it my chidush, my insight, my Torah, and even to the extent that a person is able to excuse themselves from the honor that they deserve, not because of who they are, but because of the Torah that they have. How do you now become the agent and representative of Torah that you could choose to turn down honor that belongs to the Torah. That shows that the Torah is absolutely yours. And at the same time, it's Hashem's word. It's a complete paradox. The answer is because Mishnah Torah is the part of Torah that reaches right into the essence of Hashem that is not bound by the laws of what makes sense or doesn't make sense and more importantly is not affected by the concept of disparity, separateness. There is no concept of separateness, of contradiction when you're dealing with Hashem's essence. If you're dealing with dimensions of godliness that are revealed, any kind of revealed dimension of divine energy will always have division disparity. This is that energy which is distinct from that energy. It's higher, it's greater, it's kavayamin, it's kavasmo, whatever it is that distinction that distinguishes the different kinds of energy that exist. So therefore, when you're dealing with oiros, it's para- there's no room for paradox. It's either or. If an oir is unfiltered, then you get it full power. So it's still beyond the recipient, blinding light. Yet on the other hand, if they are filtered and therefore tangible and accessible to us, automatically they're not as powerful. Those limits only apply to oil, to revealed or generated energy that radiates from Hashem's essence. But when you deal with Hashem's essence itself, but when you deal with Abish's essence, which is beyond the concept of division, the concept of change, therefore you could have the paradox exist at the same time. You could have a, re- a reality where the essence of Torah re- enters the human experience to the point that it's me piatzmo. It's like he's speaking his own words. That's how it appears. It's totally within the realm of human understanding. Yet simultaneously, it's Hashem's word. That's the distinction between the first four svarim of Torah and Mishnah Torah. The first four Sifrei Torah, the Sforim of Torah, they are Mipi Hagvura, coming out, emanating from the divine, so to speak, mouth. It's also intriguing, as the Ramban points out, that the first four Sfarim are written as if there's a third-person narrator telling you what's happening. Hashem spoke to Moshe. Who's telling us this? Who's the observer? 
explains this narrator, this third dimension, is beyond the entire experience that's happening. Hashem is speaking to Moshe, means Shem Havaya, which is a very powerful and lofty level of godliness, but nevertheless a revelation of godliness, and Moshe the recipient, who's telling the story, they beyond the two, even beyond Shem Havaya. And even there, where we talk about this higher dimension, which is even beyond Havaya, and therefore can put Havaya and Moshe into the same conversation, it's still Shlishi. It's a third party. That means that it's still part of the reality that you can split into realities into distinct realities. So there's a reality called Avaya, there's a reality called Moshe, they don't really fit together. In order to put them together, I need a higher reality, which is called Shlishi Amadaber, but it's still a distinct reality. It's not Moshe, it's not Havaya. Whereas Mishnah Torah, that derives directly from Hashem's essence, which is so powerful and so lofty, it is even beyond the concept of a so-called invisible third-party narrator that is higher than the whole uh, interaction. So, therefore, when you get to Mishnah Torah and you're expressing and experiencing Hashem's essence, now you get the complete synthesis of what appeared to be opposites. We thought Dvar Hashem is Ein Soif, and the human Mipi Atzmoi is Soif, and therefore they're opposites. Once you expose, touch, experience Hashem's essence, you find that the essence of finite and the essence of infinite is all one, so they can synthesize together. <clears throat> Which means in practice, that you and I could learn Torah in our limited fashion, with our limited abilities, and yet at the same time have direct access to Hashem's essence, and that access to Hashem's essence can become ours. To the point we can say, I have a word to share. I understood something, maybe I even have a Chiddush. This concept that we've now described with Mishnah Torah plays out in human experience, specifically with regards to Tshuva. Who is the person who initiates tshuva, the person who's got to do tshuva. It's quite logical. The effect of an Avera is to cause separation between the person and Hashem. So it's not likely that the inspiration to do tshuva comes from a revealed dimension of godliness because the person has just shut off those revealed dimensions by their choices. So where does Chuva come from? The person themselves. I will explain Chasidus that there is no such thing as a human being who can motivate and initiate their own spiritual movement without some push from on high. So where then does a person receive this motivation to do tshuva from a dimension of Hashem that is completely hidden. Which means not only is the source hidden, but even when it affects us, we don't know that something has affected us. 
כך שתנו עשה תשובה בוקר ויאכל, מהדבר תשובה מצד עצמי, מאין מה שנסבול ליבין מפני עצמי, דמישנה תורה. In other words, what happens is when the person feels the, 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 the initiative or the inspiration to do teshuvah, the way it ex, they experience it in themselves is, I decided to do teshuvah. That's not the fact. The fact is that they inspired the person to do teshuvah or empowered the person to do teshuvah. But in what way? In a way that comes from Hashem's essence and therefore cannot be detected by the person down here. So the person down here believes that they're doing it on their own. So they have the mepi atzmoi, it's my initiative, although the truth is, it's actually totally Hashem's essence playing out. Perhaps you could even go so far as to say, what prompts Shuvah? The fact that I'm connected to Hashem's essence, actually. So even the conscious decision that a person makes to do Shuvah is not because they independently, consciously want to connect to Hashem, it's because their essence wants to connect to Hashem. So that's quite similar to this principle of Torah, mepi atzmoi, it is the Abishas Torah, yet they wish to share it with us in such a way that it actually feels like it's our Torah. I came up with this idea. Talmud Vosik Osik Lechadesh. But what is it really? Nitna Lemoshim Misim. So with that, we can go back to our original question. We said that there are two opinions. Rashi says that Mishnah Torah is all about rebuke. The Sephorno says that it's all about review. And we said either the two synthesize or they share a common theme. So what's the common theme? So we say, Aleph, Divrei Teichacha, the first element of, of Mishnah Torah is that it's rebuke. Embeis, Hechzerem, Kolat Torah, Kula. And the second view is that Mishnah Torah is a review of the whole Torah. Divrei Teichacha, Tachrisim, Inyan Atshuva, Ovavoyt, Asatshuva, Yeshnan Gamken, Ho'inyan, Vo'ilo, Ho'atzim, Shema, Mishnah Torah, Kenal. Now we get it. Why is there such a concept as rebuke? Only in order to awaken a person to do tshuva. And now that we understand that the process of real tshuva is very much like the process of real Torah learning, that in both cases the person feels as if it's a personal achievement, whereas the truth is it's just access to Hashem's essence thanks to Hashem's input, that's the common theme between the two. Now, what the Rebbe is going to do is going to say, we know that obviously at that point in time they were about to enter Eretz Yisrael and they needed this special boost in order to do so. And we're going to enter Eretz Yisrael immediately with Moshiach. We need a similar boost. Just as they needed the preparation of Mishnah Torah to prepare them to get into Eretz Yisrael, we need something similar today. What is it? For us, our preparation in today's world is Chassidus, generally specifically Chassidus Chabad, because it does for us exactly the same concept as Mishnah Torah does. The whole chap of Chabad Chassidus is to take things which are fundamentally beyond comprehension, Hashem's infinite reality, and to comprehend it using human faculties. Chochma binadas. Until eventually, like the Altarebbe says, in Tanya becomes absolutely one with us in the single most intimate kind of oneness that could exist. Yet at the same time, and this is the Chap of Chassidus, that we're understanding Hashem Himself using human faculties, You'd think that the human faculties would somehow downgrade or disturb our appreciation of Hashem's essence. 
actually not. We're getting Elikus itself in a way that is absorbed, understood, and appreciated by the human mind. How could that possibly happen? Because, as the Rebbe explains in the famous Fabrengen that became in Yonah Shoteres Chassidus, so he explains there that Chassidus is the level of Yechida within Torah, it is the essence of the esoteric segments of Torah. And therefore it doesn't change even when it enters the human mind. In other words, the essence of something doesn't have to change. The essence of the mind is the same as the essence of the soul, let's say. Meaning, just because I'm processing or connecting with Yechida, with the essence of my being, using my mind, doesn't make it any less my essence than if I was accessing my Yechida using my Neshama through, let's say, Mesiris Nefesh. It's my essence. So that's the Chapa we have Chasidus. What Chasidus does is it takes the essence of Hashem and reveals it. Not like people believe that Chasidus explains Kabbalah, or it simplifies Kabbalah, that would be Bader Chislapshus, right? Where you take a concept that is very esoteric, and then you translate it into terms that are accessible to the audience, but you've actually downgraded it from its pristine state. That's not what Chassidus does. Chassidus unveils. It puts you in touch with the essence of Torah itself. That's why the, the charge, the declaration of Chassidus is, to spread the springs, the wellsprings, to the furthest outreaches. Not the water that is bottled at source and then given to a retail vendor. It's the spring itself coming to the, to the recipient, to the customer. The power to be able to take the Mayon, the deepest essence of Torah, and make it accessible to the furthest person, or as we said earlier, the simplest person, or the person who is not Tohir, how do you do that? By access to the Mayon, the source itself. That's why Hafotzus of Mayonis is the ultimate preparation for Moshiach to come. Because as we say in the Dabin Roshon Yom Kippur, that what's going to happen in the time of Moshiach is that everything that Hashem has made will acknowledge that Hashem makes it. Even that which is furthest from godliness, the resulting action, creation itself, as it is in its WYSIWYG, what you see is what you get state. So whatever thing or being it might be, a human, an animal, an item, will clearly be showing that it is one with its source. That's the goal of Mashiach. Now, the goal of Mashiach is not to explain to the world things about God. The goal of Mashiach is not to teach Torah to the world. The goal of Mashiach is to reveal Hashem's essence to every facet of existence so that it realizes, I am, I who is nothing other than Hashem's energy revealed.
To prepare for that, we need to learn Hasidus because what Hasidus does is it doesn't explain Torah to us so we should understand it or explain Elikus to us so we should understand it. It exposes Hashem's essence to us so that it is so compelling in our understanding we cannot see it any other way. So through the limit of Hasidus, we should be zoichet to Kaosimar, be to kol pol, ke'atepe'altoi, take it from Yad Mamash.